Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 195 for September 8th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about preventing cupped panels, respirators for the permanently bearded, box hinges, spraying outdoors, acclimating lumber before a project, and avoiding tear out while turning. All that and more coming up, but before we get to that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, today's show is sponsored by ArborTech. Hey, good news. The new ArborTech Random Contour Sander is now available in the U.S. The new sander will most definitely make all of your sanding jobs a breeze. Watch the tool in action at ArborTechUSA.com. And the show is also sponsored by Harry's. For guys who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now, go to Harry's.com and get $5 off your first purchase by entering the code WOODTALK when you check out. And that's at Harry's.com. So thank you to the sponsors and also a quick thank you to some of the folks who donated at WoodTalkShow.com. Send in a few bucks or signed up for a little small subscription of like two bucks a month. Uh, It doesn't cost very much, but it helps us out. So thank you, Christopher B, Bob P, Brian P, Brian G, Jim B. What's with the the everything ending in the E sound? Uh, Harvey, Harvey B. Jim M, Lon L, and Elvin J. Thank you so much, guys. You, you, you don't even understand how much that helps us just paying for server costs and uh, all the associated expenses. You know, keeping Matt in uh, stretchy pants is not cheap. No, and it, more than anything, I really enjoyed the fact that Mark really had to struggle to get through all of those similar sounding <laughs> uh, letters. So yeah, everything I really had to struggle not to interrupt him, frankly. Yeah, yeah I, I did too. I, I ended up muting the mic, <laughs> although I forgot to do it because we've been gone for so long. I want to know if the Arbitech random contour sander, does it just make random contours? What if I used it? <laughs> you just never know what you're going to get from it. You just plunge <laughs> it in there and hope for the best. <laughs> and then just in case your Harry subscription doesn't work, you can use that on your beard also like Mark does once in a while. That's true. Yes. We'll talk a little bit more about Harry's and it's kind of interesting for folks who follow us and know our particular beard situations. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it'll be a, a compelling discussion, but uh, you know, we have been gone for a while. We took a little summer break, kind of a last minute decision. We needed a little time off and this 52 shows a year thing was uh, becoming a little bit tricky. So we, th- we felt we were worth it. We deserved a little time off and we took what, three weeks off and it was good. I mean, I missed you guys. I missed having our conversations and I missed the audience interaction that we get with Wood Talk. But ultimately I think we needed this break. Yeah. I, at one point uh, it was the second Monday, third Monday. Uh, I sat the family down and said, hey, you guys want to talk about woodworking? And they bolted on me. <laughs> Everybody left. <laughs> well, you saw that Wood Talk took a break and Facebook went down. So <laughs> oh, that explains a lot. Maybe. I don't know. I think so. All right. Well, let's get into what's on the bench. We've had a few weeks to do some things. So hopefully we have a little bit to talk about here. Me personally, I started the Krenov inspired display stand and uh, got the cabinet done and the dovetails for the casework done and the drawer done. I was like plowing through this thing. Like I, I'm more ahead on this build than I've ever been on any guild build in the past and uh, feel really good about it. And then suddenly it came time mm. to cut the legs. <laughs> yeah. And these are five footers, you know, five foot legs and they've got a little bit of curvature. So you have to cut that compound curved uh, thing in it. So a lot of long cuts from very thick pieces of material. And what does that mean? Potential for bowing and for cupping. So when I cut the legs, two out of the four were great. And two were just, if you lay it flat on the bench, five foot length, both ends of this piece are up about a quarter inch on each side. 
Oh, nice. so bad enough that I don't think I want to go with it. And it's like, you know, I like to salvage anything I can and I might be able to use this stuff for, for something else at some point. But ultimately, that is not going to be a leg on this cabinet. It's just not going to work out. So I had to go back and uh, buy another. Unfortunately, all I could get in 12 quarter are these 12 foot long giant timbers from uh, from Woodworker Source here in Phoenix. And it ran over 400 bucks for that thing. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's rare to find 12-quarter shorts. They just don't exist. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, you know, people aren't buying it and cutting any off. Uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, it was good because it, it certainly had everything I needed to get four legs out of it. But that's what you call a $400 mistake right there. Yeah, um, that's rough. That's yeah. rough. I'm I'm at that point now on the bed I'm building. Mm. And it's like, oh, God, I hope this works out all right. Because you're right. It was, I think it was $525. Oof, um, oof in 12 quarter cherry and wow that was i think a pretty good price actually <laughs> yeah yeah with those thicker thicker cuts it gets expensive quick and uh it, you know and that's when the stakes really go up on this stuff and, you know and the problem was everything up to that point led me to believe just in my normal uh sort of evaluating the stock as i cut it everything led me to believe that this was going to be pretty stable stuff i didn't expect that kind of movement on the very last cut so all the things that I could have potentially done to help uh, mitigate the movement or remove the movement after some cuts were made, I didn't do any of that stuff. And uh, the second time around I did, and I, I, the good thing is it was a very important lesson to show if you're really being cautious about these pieces moving, there are ways, yeah, it's going to take longer and it's more work, but there are ways to make sure that your end product is dead straight or as close as you can get to it uh, if you're concerned that the stock's going to move. So, yeah. What you didn't apparently you didn't realize that the stock you took down was actually uh from the bow makers section. That's right, yeah. So, <laughs> that yeah. was right next to the Fletchers. Have you have you looked at it today? Cuz I one? read on the news that Phoenix had like a record amount of rain today. <laughs> yeah. So, have you looked so at it today? Maybe they're home. straight. Dude, I went I went back into the shop today while the new ones were cut already and those were straight and uh unfortunately they were finished on Friday. And I haven't been able to get in there to cut the joinery on them. So I was thinking worst case scenario, like I'm going to go in there. It's the, you know, flooding everywhere. There's so much humidity in the air. These things are going to be like potato chips when I get in there and, uh, or more like a pretzel maybe. But, um, thankfully everything was still nice and straight on the new ones and the old ones were just as, uh, crooked as they were when I left them there. So, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it takes for steam bending. Yeah, totally. So, so that was, uh, what, what I was up to, um, you know, really happy to move on with the, the project. We just launched the first episode in a series just uh, this past Friday, and this is going to be a good build, uh, a nice one to work into the, the woodworking season as we get into the fall. So looking forward to that. Uh, Matt, how about you? Well, the big thing for me, like I, I, I mentioned, you know, I, I did want to sit the family down and have a little conversation about woodworking. I really did kind of kick back during this last couple of weeks and said, you know what, I need to just kind of just relax. And I, I put up a little article about woodworking burnout, not so much that I was having it. A, a listener had actually asked questions about it and we, we occasionally addressed it. But I figured, you know what, if we're really truly on hiatus, it's a time that I'm just going to kind of kick back. But... That dang lathe that I moved out into the garage, I think I <laughs> talked about this just before we went on hiatus. I ended up moving it out there, and it kept calling and calling, and now I'm looking at a treatment center for lathe addiction because <laughs> I went out there and I made my first turning project, and I had a lot of fun with it. And basically, It's really one of those we talk about occasionally you need to just jump feet first in. doesn't matter how high above your head you end up dropping you know, kind of a thing going in the water, and that's exactly what I did. I'm like, I'm not really sure what this tool does. But let's find out when I put it against the wood. <laughs> so things turned out really good. I made that mallet. I'm kind of 
you know, joking around a little bit there, but uh, it, it turned out really nice. And the big thing is the feedback has been fantastic. I expected a lot of people to kind of uh, give me crap about a few things here and there and how to hold the tool. And I've been getting some <laughs> some fantastic feedback. But the number one thing, and I always have to laugh about this, especially over at YouTube, I often wonder if people simply don't read the other comments or they do, but they feel that their comment is the most important one because I've got a lot of stuff about uh, when I applied the finish, I used a rag rather than paper towel. And I think that is the most – I almost like they're copying and pasting the original commenter's <laughs> comment. But, I mean, seriously, Matt, don't use a rag. You're supposed to use your sleeve. I wish I had somebody to tell me that. You know, if somebody would do that in a comment, I would uh, – <laughs> I thought you were supposed to just stick your tongue out. There, there was that one too. That's <laughs> only on frozen pipes. A little spit shine on there. there well, you, you know, it, it's funny – I I watched I just watched that video at lunch today. Thank you, Matt. It was quite entertaining. Oh, you're welcome, um, sir. And I also discovered I'm not subscribed to Matt's YouTube channel. What? what? It's terrible. Well, I've I've been getting Matt's Basement Workshop via my you know my Rio MP3 player that takes you back when it was just audio. What? I've been subscribed to the RSS feed for so long that it just never occurred to me. And I watched the video and. And I got to admit, Matt, I'm looking at it going, why is he using that gouge as a scraping tool? You know, <laughs> he needs to rub the bevel a little bit more. And it's like, you know, as his friend, I should really, I should really reach out to him. And I'm like, you know what? YouTube must be having a field day with this right now. <laughs> so I go over to YouTube and I'm like, why is Matt not in here? Oh my God, I'm not subscribed. So I got to give YouTube credit. It was very civil. It was. I mean, there were, no offense, Matt, there were some pretty glaring things there. <laughs> It, it, like, exactly. it was funny because I as soon as I posted it, that was the one thing I'm thinking is I'm like, this is going to be the video that will make me cry. I know it will be. <laughs> and I, yeah, it, it's amazing how it, it's been really civil. There has been a couple of emails that came to me directly and there, one or two of them started out with, I don't mean to be mean, but I have to give you some constructive criticism. And to be honest with you, it, it was awesome true constructive criticism it wasn't mean it wasn't mean spirited none of that stuff but i have a feeling that they probably heard us comment periodically and myself you know i know i have said stuff out there before about people being mean to me <laughs> and so they were being very gentle with me but the the criticism that they gave me was exactly what i needed to hear now this rubbing the bevel i thought i was already doing that <laughs> well the good the good thing though is that you know the you didn't really come across as like, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to turn right. today. It yeah. was your personal, you know, experimentation. You were learning and you were brave enough to put a camera on you while you were learning. I mean, I, I don't, I actually think I do subscribe to you on YouTube, but I hardly ever watch anything on YouTube. Actually. That's okay. I barely watch either one of you guys. Jeez. There you go. But no, the, here's the good thing. You want to know how I watch your show sitting on my couch with a TiVo. And, and that's my, the, perhaps, you ever notice I kind of pull on my earlobe? That's for you, <laughs> sir. Hey, how's it going, Mark? <laughs> uh, the greatest thing about watching it that way is there are no YouTube comments when I'm sitting on my couch. And I was watching it going, wow, he is brave because there are definitely points where you, you caught the tool and you're yes. like, oops, look, look, you see that? Well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Trust me, there were moments when, when that happened, I knew exactly like, oh my gosh, this is one of those. I really... I should edit this out because I, I'm going to get just absolutely lambasted about this. Or I'm just going to get destroyed. They're going to they're going to hang me up by my toes, basically. <laughs> but then as I started going through it, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to own up to it. I mean, it was it that, would have been so easy for you to cut that out. So I oh, think yeah, you know absolutely all the credit to you for leaving it in there. 
Yeah, yeah but I think again, that's one of the things. It was truly which, entertaining. I did really enjoy it. It was like seven minutes or whatever. It was it was very entertaining. Yeah, it was good. Well, you know, well, and a simple you. mallet like that is a really uh, a great project, especially for someone getting into turning. How about making something very useful? Uh, in fact, we have a voicemail about that that uh, maybe we'll let Matt answer since he's freshly off the lathe and making a mallet uh, that's concerning tear out. So. Um, no, yeah. I'd actually prefer to answer one of the other ones if we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah, I've seen the video, so maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah so maybe. Matt, just, uh, just head over to semester five of the hand tool school. There's a whole thing in there about rubbing the bevel. You've got okay. access. No excuse. Yeah, I, I was, that was one of the things I was thinking. It, there's a couple other DVDs that I have that I, I'm like, you know what? I, I gave these like a cursiary kind of uh, however you say that. You know, I gave it a quick glance when they first came in. Never really thought about it. So now I'm thinking <laughs> maybe I'll actually pay attention this time. Well, and here's the other the other thing that I like about turning is you actually don't need to be, you know, sort of masterful in your technique to get something <laughs> done. That right. I mean, it's very forgiving. If you have the the tool rest set up properly at the right height, you've got your grip set up. Even Matt showed this perfectly. Even if you have a catch, it doesn't necessarily have to be a disastrous thing. You know, so with some basic knowledge and a good sharp tool, you can actually get quite a bit of learning on the job done when it comes to turning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nice to, to go to resources and get better at like anything in woodworking uh, to, right. to teach yourself. But I personally, I mean, I watch most of the video and I'm like, looks good to me, <laughs> which might say a lot about my background in turning. <laughs> well, well, just be- before I did that one, I had uh, a- about a day or so earlier, I took a square piece of wood and I made it roundy. So basically I made a dowel and I was all excited because I took some calipers and along the whole entire length, it's almost exactly the same dimension. So I hmm. took it off the lathe and I'm like running around the front yard like, I made a dowel! <laughs> and I like one neighbor just like, dude, just go up to the home center down the block and just buy a dowel. <laughs> you know you can what buy those, right? Nice. That's not hard to do. Or not hard to do. That's, that's not hard not to do. I know I did do. it. <laughs> it's not easy to do to get it that accurate. Well, well I didn't tell you, though, that it, it originally started out as a uh, six-inch uh, diameter piece, and I took it down to about a quarter inch. <laughs> um, and it was so, just a giant and it took me about four hours just to get one end done. So if that's, nice. if that's any indication. Now, Shannon, while you were gone, when you were gone, that's when you were up at the, uh, your in-law's main vacation home. And yeah. didn't you have to tackle a certain build for a client? I did. Um, yeah, so I was, I was busy while we were off. I was wrapping up some hand tool school stuff and working on like six different models at once. Read, I'm relearning. Six different models. Now, does Heather know about that? Hey-o. See, no one would ever believe believe that I could pull that off. So that joke joke just doesn't work. (laughs) We are woodworkers. You know, that's like practically like, you know, stud in most languages. I'm redoing, as they say in the business, my workflow in a lot of areas. I've changed my video editor. I've changed how I do things, how I film. I've added a bunch of new things in. Um, I've gone Adobe on a lot of what I'm doing now with Premiere and After Effects. So I've been re... I keep saying relearning. I've been, been well, relearning the editing process and mm-hmm. kind of doing all that over and trying to up the production quality a lot. So I was spent a lot of time working on that. But at the same time, I had this... This dining table thing that I talked about on the show whenever that was a couple episodes table. ago. Exactly. Yeah. And this client, you know, the whole thing was agreed upon. You know, I'm going to be up in Maine. I can deliver to you at that time. Great. I'll be there at the same time because this is um, a neighbor as close as you get to a neighbor on, you know, this this place up in Southport Island. And um, it was agreed that 
I would get as much of it as much of it as I could done before I went up there. And once I got up there, it would be kind of the assembly and the finishing. I mean, it's a it's a trestle table with a tusk tenon, so there really is no no real glue up other than glue up the legs, glue up the breadboards. I actually didn't even really glue up the breadboards, and it knocks down flat because it's that trestle table kind of idea. But I didn't want to apply the finish and then have it off gassing during a 12 hour drive up to Maine in a closed car. <laughs> Might not be safe. <laughs> and I didn't, yeah, and I knew, fun. I knew there was just no way I was going to get it done in time to have it finished and have it stopped. I mean, what is that like two to three weeks before this, depending on what the finish yeah, really depending. stops off gassing. Yeah, so there's no way, no yeah, way that was going to get done. That's tough. So as is typical, I got a lot done before we left and I had to plan for what could I take up there. I really, I knew that I had a garage space to work in, but I knew there was a sawhorse. Actually, there were two of them, but they were totally different heights, which doesn't make sense at all. It was like, it was like a regular sawhorse and then like the spinal tap stone hinge sawhorse. It was like three feet tall and it just it was ridiculous. <laughs> so I knew that I had just a, a, a big space, but nothing with which to work so i had to get all the heavy lifting done at my shop and then i had to figure out how to package it we rented a van took it up there so long story short too late i put a lot of effort into figuring out how i would get the work done and how i would deliver it and i worked my butt off while i was up there on quote vacation which again it's still woodworking you know that's still fun um the let's see i installed the breadboards and it was basically down to just sanding and she wanted kind of a rustic finish so in other words you get to be real sloppy with the sander and mm-hmm. round over stuff and gouge things here and there you could do it a uh, new yankee workshop style yeah exactly <laughs> so i was i had finished the construction i was ready to start sanding i was on my what i i left on friday night so this was thursday morning i was ready to start this and the lady comes wandering over she's like oh my gosh it looks beautiful it's so incredible thank you so much i can't believe this and i'm like oh that's great you know here's what we're gonna do she's like well here's the thing it's the wrong Something, color <laughs> i have to leave like she's from Boston. She's like, I have to go. Something's come up. I've got to go home. I've got to deal with some things. And I'm not planning on coming back up this season because they shut off the water and the power to this island in the winter up there. And unless you have generators and a well, you can't winter over up there. And she's not one of those people that does that. So wow. she's like, I'm going to be shutting down my house for the season. And I probably won't be back until next July. Yeah. It's like, so what does that mean to me? She's like, oh, just don't worry about it. Just get it to me next July. And I was like, wow. Oh, that's kind of annoying. I want to kill you. But at the same time, oh, okay, well, sweet. I'm going to go like kayaking now because I've been busting my butt to get this done. So it was, it was kind of a letdown, but at the same time, this great relief that I didn't have to basically take the last day and a half of my vacation and sit there with the HVLP sprayer and the random orbit sander. And (laughs) so needless to say, there is a really beautiful table with, you know, the breadboards on and completely unfinished sitting in the like living room of my in-laws house. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And, uh, so the, the table's done. I got a lot of footage of it. I'm going to be releasing it in a couple of parts, but there won't be that final part with a finished, literally the finished pictures of it mm-hmm. until probably 
late July next year. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like, oh, that's great. But then at the same time, it's like, what a letdown because that project isn't done. It's like hanging over my head right now. Kind of anticlimactic a bit. Yeah. I probably should have just sucked it up and finished it. But frankly, it was it was like having not, you know, realizing I didn't have Wood Talk Monday night and going, oh, cool. I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was basically it. Oh, cool. I'm going to go do something else right now. So, nice. I, I would double check to make sure that she's actually uh, not being indicted someplace, and that was her opportunity to get out of the country. <laughs> hey, her checks have cleared. I was so. just about oh, to ask if you got paid. <laughs> All right. Well, at least you got the money. That's good. Whatever, man. So I, I did tell my in-laws because they're up there until like October, middle of October. I told them to to eat on it, you know, bang it up, you know, drop some stuff on it. Go ahead and do the distressing work for me. Mm-hmm. So if they want to like take the top off and set it on the ground and let the dog run over it a couple times. That'd be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, let's jump into what's new. Got a couple links to share with you that uh, folks sent to us. And the first one here is from Ed. He says it's a wood turning video that could change the way you look at woodworking. I don't know about that. It was kind of emotional though. Is this Matt's video? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It could change the way you look at wood turning. As in, you never want to do it again and take up knitting instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, it's a video of a guy building an urn for his dog. And having just recently lost a pup of my own, this was uh, admittedly not a video that I watched all the way through. I just kind of skimmed it to look at the woodworking and saw that there's actual footage of the dog in their last days with, with the dog. And I'm like, yep, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I no think this thanks. one came in about the same time that we ended up having to put our cat down. So I had a very, very similar reaction that was just like, oh, why do our do our listeners do this to us on purpose? <laughs> right, torturing <laughs> us. Uh, but yeah, check it out. It looks like a worthy build just to see what he did in terms of the turning. And if you're uh, some people like to cry. I guess once in a while. So uh, maybe if you're up for a good cry, go watch it. If you want a good cry, watch this. <laughs> yeah, follow follow it up with Old Yeller. Um, and then oh, let's geez. see what's another good one. <laughs> Deer Hunter. <laughs> there you go. Well, not so much that one, but okay. So it, well, we have another one here, and this one came in uh, a little bit earlier. Do you guys remember that whole uh, ice bucket challenge thing? I don't know if you heard about this. It was something that was going around. The kids were doing it. How can I flip and forget it? <laughs> you won't pointedly ever. ignored it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I pretty much did too, although I will admit that I did make a donation, but I can't guarantee that it was actually to a charity. Um, <laughs> it was but probably anyways, was to though, your wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of our uh, our good friends, Nick, he sent a uh, link over. He said, my sister recently challenged me to the ice bucket challenge for ALS. So that was probably about three, three, four weeks ago. So not as recent as it sounds. And he said, not wanting to simply go out and douse myself in the usual fashion, I decided to create the build your own ice bucket challenge. And he has a hashtag, hashtag build your own ice bucket challenge. So he put together a video of him creating a wooden ice bucket. It's a pretty neat looking, uh, nice little little project there. In fact, uh, I think I'm going to steal this and throw this up on my website as a kudos to Nick for doing this. And then at the end of it, he douses himself with water and doesn't challenge specific people, but more or less a large group of people, including woodworkers, metal workers, and I can't remember who else. No, what definitely wasn't knitters, though. No so if you, if you want to check it out, it's kind of a neat build watching him do it. He did a lot of the sped up work, so it's not him working at his normal speed. But just all around, a really neat project and just a, a, one of those things that if, if you were really passionate about this or any of these other fantastic challenges that go out there, it's just a really neat take on it. It is really cool take. Hey, did you guys see Mike Rose post concerning the Ice Bucket Challenge? Uh, I don't no. know if I did. I saw some other stuff. I saw his uh, tribute to Joan Rivers. 
not, that's not the that same thing. The same, not the same. Not okay. the same one. But uh, yeah, if you can go look at his his Facebook page and see if you could find it's a picture of him uh, in a tub with a bucket and his dog, and there's a whole <laughs> lengthy explanation about why he's not participating. Uh, very interesting reading. Um, yeah. All right. Anyway, Shannon. <laughs> I don't want to get too deep. Sorry, I'm going to Facebook right now to read that. (laughs) You you just told me to do that. All right, this is a a website from Adam. He says, these hand saws look very interesting. And it's uh, the Crosscut Saw Company. This is basically like um, in Crocodile Dundee when he says, that's not a knife, this is a knife. Yeah. These these are the saws that he's talking about. This is like for the, the inner lumberjack who wants like perforated lance tooth saws and tree felling saws and saws that you can, you know, carry around and scare people away. Um, Those are some really, serious toofuses on there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it harkens back to a kinder, gentler tree murdering age when, <laughs> <Right>. when <laughs> men were men and men felled trees, the size of houses. So it's, it's, I mean, it's cool that there's still a company out there that you can actually go and buy these big timber saws. And I just kind of want one just for the sake of, Saying I've got one, but well, look at it this going way: out and felling your neighbor's tree so you can make yet another treadle lathe. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> there, you there you go. Well, look at it this way, Shannon. You already do the hand tool thing, which is sort of you know harkens back to an older, simpler way of of doing the craft. And you're you're really on easy street if you think about it with your lumber acquisition. So yeah. I think it's high time that you pack up the car, go out to the forest, cut your own crap down instead of relying on um, East Dinger Bucker Hummer company that you work at. <laughs> That's McGillicuddy <laughs> and Spelt. Yes, that one. And uh, you know what? Cut your own trees down. So pick some of these up and let's see you really put your money where your mouth is. I need to have like a traveling <laughs> band of minstrels, like the bluegrass go. minstrel band when yes. I wander out into the forest. That'd be perfect. <laughs> I would watch that, by the way. It's the Sarabin equivalent <laughs> of bluegrass. That's what right. I mean. <laughs> All right. Let's move into our poll of the week from our good buddy, Tom Iovino. Tom's workbench.com is where you could find all of his uh, rantings and ravings. And last time we asked the question, how do you cut your tendons? And we have the results from that. About 1,700 people voted. Uh, I'll give you the top results here. A table saw and dado blade at 32%. A table saw and a standard blade, thinking like a tenoning jig, at 26%. Hand tools only, 14%. And uh, loose tenons like the domino, 8%. And I don't cut no stinking tenons at 6%. I wonder, wonder what they do. Pocket screws, maybe? That was Rob uh, Cosman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he is 6%. Nice. And uh, so next week's poll, we have it up there and have the link in the show notes for you, is whether or not you wear shop aprons. And I'm curious. Do you, I know, Shannon, I've seen you wear a shop apron quite often yeah. in your videos. Um, Matt, do you? You don't. I, I, I do periodically. It depends on whether I really like the shirt that I have on and yeah. I don't want to hear – I know Sam's going to be late on getting laundry done. Right. In that case, I'll put – the apron on so that I can make that shirt last longer. Nice. <laughs> I, I used to wear them all the time. Uh, two things stopped me, the hot weather, uh, even in the winter time, it's not cool enough for me to want an extra layer on. And then when I started filming my woodworking, it made it difficult. The way I mount my microphone is down sort of on my, my sternum area, mm-hmm. which even if I mount it on the, the apron, it kind of can get that sort of scratching noise. So I just got in the habit of not wearing one and I regret it because I really actually love having an apron on, but, uh, so yeah, I have one of those. Have you seen the apron that I use now, Mark? It has a hole uh, for the lapel mic. Oh, does it? Did you cut it yourself? No, I I got it from uh, Texas Heritage Woodworks. It's a custom apron. 
Um, oh, I remember that. I had Jason specifically put that. It's basically <laughs> a gigantic buttonhole. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I want to say it's about three inches long. So the whole lapel fits through there and it clamps back inside and it's like perfectly centered. Wow. Because I used to clamp it up on the shoulder strap, okay. which meant if I ever turned my head to the left. Yeah, you get really like, loud. You, you get that, hey, what are you, welcome to the show. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about. <laughs> oh, we're getting Doppler effect when Shannon's talking. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but it's it's nice. awesome. It's Very a cool. fantastic apron, well-crafted and um this show's brought to you by Texas Heritage Woodworks. You'll well, find you them go. at Woodworking in America. Hey, you know, if, uh, it's funny because I have one of those leather aprons, like the big ones, and I was concerned because I suddenly started thinking, you know, one single cow, maybe a whole herd died to help me make this. And it really, really <laughs> bothered me, you know, what was going on there. But perhaps since Carrie Haltman seems to be the leather person uh, now, maybe I'll talk to her about how I can cut a hole and have one of those special lavalier holes coming through because that's that's a that's great slick. idea very slick yeah, but, limited and, market on that i think but very cool yeah but get a pair of uh, <laughs> chaps when you're at it Ooh. Now, yeah and well, makes you think i don't have them <laughs> oh <laughs> i bet i bet you do i bet you do all right let's move into kickback uh we got one here from ned he says i just caught up on episode 194 and matt mentioned american woodworker i don't know if you had heard but it seems the magazine itself is going under i read back issues on google books and the subscribe link goes to uh i guess it's like a dead page or something but um i think i read a post on this i don't know if it was in pop woodworking or something but um this is on the american woodworker site it says uh with the october 2014 issue american woodworker has merged with popular woodworking magazine Popular Woodworking welcome subscribers to uh, of America Woodworker blah 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 blah. So basically, it's kind of just consolidating and moving everything over into uh, putting all your eggs in a smaller basket, I guess. Does that mean that they're going to become uh, a popular in America Woodworking magazine or American Popular Woodworker? Well, that's a lot of extra words, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a heck on the titles up there, right on top of the cover. <laughs> most of it's just going to be their title. The You'll words. have to open to the next page to see what's in it. <laughs> there you go. They're just going to uh, change it to American Woodworker. M-E-R-I-C-A-N. American. They, they would sell more. There's no Probably. doubt about it. Uh, all right. You know what? We're going to take a few minutes to talk about one of our sponsors, Harry's. And if you're not familiar with Harry's, they are a company that makes razor blades. And uh, perhaps one of my favorite things about it is you don't have to go to the store. And I'm kind of a sucker for that these days. Maybe I'm just getting lazy or, I mean, the thing is it's not as expensive as it used to be to get stuff delivered, you know? So whether it's uh, from Amazon or whatever, I mail order anything and everything I can, even my pet food. There is a company here locally that allows us to order pet food and they just deliver. It doesn't cost any more. And every Friday they make a delivery, they drop off the food and boom, it's done. So I don't have to go pick up like a 30 pound bag of dog food. That's Man, awesome. You guys are so lucky. I, need to I do am. That. I- I'm excited if the pizza man shows up at the right, <laughs> right? address. <laughs> yeah, so good stuff. So if you can get this stuff mail ordered, I'm all for it. But anyway, uh, Harry's. That's We're talking about a sponsor here, right? <laughs> right. I, yeah, I didn't get my free sample of dog food. Yeah, we're not talking about Goober Pet Direct, which is the company locally that does this. Uh, but yeah, so Harry's, they do this similar thing where you could sign up for a subscription. I mean, you could just buy stuff outright. But if you're a frequent shaver, they've got a couple different plans where you could buy uh, they, they basically will send you razors and the shave cream 
uh, on a particular schedule and the prices on this. Now, here's the thing. All three of us got some of this to sample because uh, we certainly couldn't talk about a product that we've never used before. I don't know about you guys, but when I got this, in terms of the packaging and the quality of the materials, the first thing I thought was, crap, we're in trouble because this is going to be really expensive. <laughs> right. So we're supposed to talk about, yeah, I mean, it's a great razor and a great system and a great setup, but if it's super expensive, it's going to be hard for us to wholeheartedly get behind, right? Right, right exactly. I thought the same exact thing. Yeah, so uh, so even before I checked into how much the stuff you know, was going to cost people. Um, I just went and shaved and anyone who knows me and knows my videos knows that I don't really shave very much. I use the, uh, I've got an electric razor and I use the, um, uh, what is it? The shaving attacher. I don't even use the, the side that is supposed to shave really close. I use the buzzer side and that's what I use to maintain my face. Cause I've got extremely sensitive skin and I just don't like shaving all that often. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, I'm going to take the Harry's challenge, even though there isn't, there isn't one. But there is now. <laughs> Maybe there should be. And I'm like, I'm going to shave this horrible, you know, very rough beard of mine and see what happens. So I've shaved about four times with this, and it's a really, really good shave. And frankly, the amount of like ingrown hairs that I usually have on the like second or third day of regrowth uh, just didn't happen. And I was really impressed with it. So overall, I thought the quality of the stuff is really good. I think anyone who is uh, maybe you have to shave for work every darn day, you're going through this stuff. I think it's actually a really um, a pretty good product. So you guys shaved with it too, and you guys I know both shave more than I do. So I'm interested to hear what you thought. Yeah, babyface, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> babyface Rogers. Yeah, it's you know it's it's certainly I can get away with shaving less now that I work at a lumber yard and half the guys around there have have <laughs> facial hair. But yeah, but they don't. What it really comes suit. down to is I can't grow a beard worth a damn. I mm. I look like you know a twelve year old trying to pull it off. So <laughs> you know you can let it go like three or four days, and every now and then you'll see if I've been filming a lot like over the weekend. You could see when it's Sunday night. Cause I'm scruffy as all get out. But, yeah. um, so yeah, I pretty much shave every single day and I hate, I hate buying razors. So I tend to milk them probably longer than I should. <laughs> right. I'm going on six um, months with this one. <laughs> I've thought about resharpening them myself. I mean, come on, I can sharpen tools. Why not? This, um, it's incredibly comfortable. Um, mm. I, I, I was going to say, I sound like an advertisement, but I guess that's what this is. That's I mean, it what is, it is really, really uncomfortable, uncomfortable, excuse me, very comfortable. I was, I was shaving with it and it's like, I must be missing. Like, and I went back and I was like, oh my God, I got a really good shave with this. So it's very, very nice razor. And for those of you who are cheap like me and go through razors a lot, the key is drying them off. If you dry off the razor when you're done, the edge will last a heck of a lot longer. Really? Like three what? or four times longer. I yeah. usually just like tap it out and get all the big, you know, moisture out of there and then hope for the yeah, best. Like See, blot it nice on a towel huh. and, and it will last a heck of a lot longer. Good to know. Well, Harry's doesn't want that to happen. They want to sell yeah, razors, sorry. Shannon. So you just totally ruined that one for <laughs> Screwed us. Screwed that up. Like what, yeah. two bucks a piece? So yeah. Yeah, practically. Well, you know, I, I'm somebody who I still, even though I have the full beard, I do have certain areas that I have to shave so I can maintain my quote-unquote professional look, which uh, usually after about an hour after I get there, it's completely out the window and they ask that I don't even walk through the hall where patients are at. <laughs> right. uh, but those little areas I do, especially under my neck and uh, on my cheekbones kind of a thing, that those areas – Really can I can mess them up really bad with most razors. And to be quite honest with you, that again, Harry's not to blow smoke up anybody's skirt here. They were fantastic. And I'm pretty excited about 
uh, the results I've gotten from it so far. So it is, it's pretty nifty. I, cool. I'm very, and the wife's even very happy with it. She's like, wow, say, that's what shape. really matters. My wife approved. So there yeah. you go. Well, that's and it is really a, have to say. I'll tell you what, there isn't many times that Nicole has up, had the opportunity to give me a kiss or like rub it cheek to cheek with a smooth faced man. Because <laughs> 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 I never <laughs> have, <you> were. <laughs> I always have some kind of shadow going on. And uh, she was like, ooh. So I think she, she actually liked it. Um, now here's the thing with the pricing. This is what I, what got me. I was like, all right, this is going to be expensive. It's a subscription service. It's a decent quality razor. And it's actually about half price from other uh, competitors. So I looked it up and f- just as an example, if you're looking at replacement blades, $15 for an eight pack on Harry, uh, harrys.com and Gillette fusion, $32 for an eight pack. Yeah, that's crazy. What? I mean, razors are ridiculously expensive. So, you know, we'll just cut this at, uh, short at this point. If uh, if you're not really short, that was really long. Um, but if you're <laughs> meanwhile in the next episode of Harry's Talks Woodworking. <laughs> but you know what? I think a lot of our audience, uh, it, it, they're people who shave, <laughs> and I think this is something you would be interested in. Uh, that's why we took the ad on, and thankfully, we really like the product, so it's something that we could stand behind. Uh, just a quick reminder that you can go to Harry's.com. And get uh, $5 off your first order with the coupon code WOODTALK. That's harrys.com. So definitely go do that. It helps us out when you use that code because then they know that their ad money was uh, spent wisely. And go shave and let us know what you think. Yeah, if you use the shaving cream, your your spouse might be like, ooh, you smell pretty. Come here, big boy. Yeah, it's, it really smells good. All right, let's move into our voicemails. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on, yes. We have a voicemail here from John. It's kind of a threefer. He's got a couple of questions wrapped in the one about uh, spraying outside and spray finishing. Oh, John. You know? Hey, guys. John from Phoenix with another question. This fall, I'm getting ready to, to uh, finish those eight dining room chairs that I've been building all summer. Doing five coats of wipe-on, varnish, or poly for nine chairs sounds like it would blow. So I'm thinking about doing uh, a spray-on lacquer. And I know Mark in particular has talked about how he's done it in the past. I plan on doing it outside. I don't have a spray booth, nor am I going to build one. So I was thinking about uh, just spraying outside. I was wondering if there's anything in uh, preparation you guys do besides, you know, making sure you're downwind of children and parked cars. And then I know Mark recommends the uh, Sherwin-Williams pre-cat lacquer. Uh, which is probably what I'm going to go with unless anyone has tried a water-based lacquer and can tell me it's any better. And then finally, I've got the esteemed Rockler HVLP, which was just awarded last position in fine woodworking spray-off <laughs> in their latest issue. Hey, oh. I was wondering if dropping 300 bucks on an Erlex would be worth it. I'm going to do the chairs and a table, and I don't want it to. I don't want the product to be ruined. So anyway, your advice is welcome. As always, thanks for the work. You guys rock. See you. Cool. Thanks, John. I hope you are not floating away somewhere here in Phoenix with these floods. Um, let me see. So let's, I'll start with this last question first. He's asking about uh, upgrading to Erlex. Erlex makes some really good sprayers, very budget-friendly sprayers, but ones that are kind of at that next level, not necessarily that $99 Rockler level, but maybe the two three dollars uh, Weekend Warrior level, I guess you might call it. And I do think it's worth it for the step up, especially from the Rockler unit. It's you know just got parts that are going to last longer. It's probably going to be more powerful. You'll get a better atomized spray out of it. And if spraying is something you're going to start doing a little bit more of, and you probably should, I would say, yeah, go for the Erlex. Also look into Fuji's newer Hobby Pro units, the less expensive ones that they have, because Fuji's quality, uh, I would rate at a little bit higher than Erlex, and especially at those cheaper units, you could still get a decent build quality and a decent spraying gun. So check those out. And yes, I, I do think it's worth it to upgrade. 
Uh, now we talked about outdoor spraying. I can't remember exactly in what context in a couple of episodes, uh, maybe a couple episodes ago. Uh, uh, there was the the comment about using a tent. That's right. Spray booth. Yes. Yeah. So uh, honestly, I think maybe go back and listen to that. I, I don't really personally have any tips for spraying outside other than, you know, do it on a day that's not all that windy. If there is a little wind, don't stand downwind. <laughs> right. Stand upwind and, uh, you know, same rule for farting. And, um, yeah, I think that's what I'm doing. Right? Yeah. Uh, and he's, I think he's got it. You just stay away from the house, be, be, uh, conscientious of your neighbors and make sure that, you know, cause obviously that's how you can get in trouble. If people start smelling the fumes, it's not a good thing. Um, but it really comes down to learning how to sand between coats and then go back out and spray, uh, because spraying outside is always going to leave you with a little bit of a, a scratchy, choppy surface just because stuff wants to settle in the finish. So you got to really sand well between coats and get back out there. Here in Michigan, we call them gnats. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, fortunately, we don't have many bugs. Uh, we do have a lot of dust. We don't have a lot of airborne bugs. Um, any, I mean, do you guys even spray outside? I know your, your situations are very different than mine. I kind of only with to. spray cans. Right. I mean, that it, still counts. It, <laughs> my, my shop is just too small <clears throat> and it's never clean enough. And it's also right next door to the laundry room. Mm. And I find that if I spray anything in the garage, all the laundry smells like it. Oh, that's no good. Um, and with the, um, what you might call it, the, the furnace and all that stuff, like right next door, it's just one of those things where it's just not, it's not worth doing it. So mm-hmm. I always spray out in the driveway. And I think the, the first thing that he's doing right is choosing a finish that dries really quickly. Yep. So For lacquer, sure. and I do the same thing with, I've never sprayed lacquer with my Erlex. I've sprayed shellac with it. I mean, that dries almost as fast yeah. as pretty similar on the mix so i i always think when it comes to the spraying thing again i know one of those things where i'm a little deathly afraid of it but uh, when i took those classes with jim heavey a couple of years ago the big thing that he emphasized was just the fact that when he does his he just opens the the barn doors and just lets it go out in the in the yard or something so mm-hmm. uh again yeah just watch the wind the other yeah, thing, make sure um, you pull the car out of the driveway yeah, that would not be good. You go to your car to get this. <laughs> so I hear. Yeah, this rough overspray on it would not be a fun thing. Um, now, concerning the finish itself, I think he's on the right track, just using a more traditional lacquer solution or a pre-cat lacquer. Uh, they're very forgiving. And I think there are some really good water-based finishes out there that you could possibly spray. But I think that's second level stuff. I mean, it may not be an option for folks like in you know California. You may not have a choice but to use water-based um, but I really think that a lot of the traditional lacquers spray better, are easier to work with, they're more forgiving. So stick with that for now. Do your research on the water-based and maybe give it a shot at some point because there are some good formulations out there. Uh, they're getting better and better uh, every year. But I would say right now the easiest learning curve is definitely with that traditional lacquer. Okay, what do we have here? Another one here from Chris uh, concerning acclimating lumber. Wait, I have all the little things behind the window. There it is. Hi guys, Chris with a K calling from New Jersey. My question is, how do you go about acclimating your lumber when you get ready for a project? If you have rougher lumber that has been in your shop for a while, when you get ready to do a project, do you like to do some preliminary milling and then let the wood sit for a while again before you bring it down to final dimension? Or do you like to move as quickly as possible to incorporate the wood into your project in order to avoid further movement. What do you recommend for us hobbyists who don't get to spend significant time in the shop? Thanks, guys. Look forward to your answer. See ya. Mm. Pretty good I question. Think, yeah. Go ahead. I always I, introduce we'll, myself first before. Yeah, I Shannon, start. with the S, do you, you want to say something? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, you know, the thing is, in, in my area, it's a little bit different uh, over time. I and mean, I used to be very cautious about this in, in pre-milling. And even some of my earlier videos, I would mention that I'm sort of doing a preliminary milling session and I'll leave it for a couple of weeks. And that's because I was in Southern California before and I had a very, uh, it was a much more humid environment. So I had to be even more cautious there. What I've come to realize over the years out here is especially if the wood's been stored here for a while, it's bone dry and it ain't getting any drier. And right. most of the time, if I'm milling it, just letting it sit here isn't really going to do anything to it. Uh, so yeah, so for me, basically I do, my key is to mill quickly and get to the joinery cutting as fast as possible and hopefully to assembly soon after that. Um, I try to limit my time between the, the milling process and the cutting of the joinery because if things are going to move, then it's going to really create problems for me when I'm trying to cut that joinery. But personally, I don't have to worry too much about that sort of mill part of the way, acclimate, then mill again sort of process. Now, the two of you are definitely in more human environments. I'm curious if uh, that's something that's in your work regimen at this point. See, no. I work pretty much <clears throat> from start to finish, like per part. Um, it, you know, it's rare that I do a, a whole bunch of bulk milling where I'll bill, bill mill all the wood for the for the project all at once. I'll be working on something and, you know, I've got to join this part to this part. I'll mill those two pieces, cut the joinery, and then go back and mill again just because I'm, you know, for the most part, milling by hand. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know. I, I hear these stories of people that have these horrible movement problems, and I'm not going to say my wood doesn't move, but I think I've also gotten accustomed to dealing with that and right. how to deal. I mean, rarely are my boards completely dead flat to within a thousandth of an inch. Um, and it doesn't really affect my joinery. Now I do, I don't work with lumber like straight from the lumber yard, you know, just unloaded it from the car and start cutting it right away. I let it sit in my shop for at least two weeks. Um, so maybe, maybe that's why I don't have problems. So the acclimating I do is letting my lumber hang out in my shop for a while before I do any work. I'm very conscious, uh, conscious about milling evenly there if I go. move a bit from one side, I move mm -hmm. this close to the same amount from the other side. Um, but my boards will move, and I compensate for that while I cut my joinery. Sure. See, now, like both of you, I, I tend to actually do a lot of bulk milling, and I probably have a more similar situation uh, to like what Chris K is describing, where as a hobbyist, there are plenty of times that I end up walking away. Let's get serious, like an Aiden's bed build. That what took me uh, six years, I think, something like that. And I had milled it all <laughs> at the very beginning. Where I have the biggest issue is if I have like a really wide board or a really thick board and I want to rip it down into narrower boards, that's probably about the only time that I ever notice major wood movement. And especially if I don't get to it in time and, and leave enough to be able to mill some of that out of there. In fact, typically when I uh, resaw a thick board, oftentimes I plan on it to uh, have some major issues. Uh, so I'll try to leave it as thick as possible so that I can bring it down to that final dimension. Like those are the only boards I'll really set aside to kind of let reacclimate. Uh, yeah. But fortunately, the vast majority of my other components, again, yeah, I maybe have just a little bit of movement in there, a little, a little reaction to uh, uh, being the new fresh faces being exposed, but not enough to really be concerned about it. I just have learned to kind of, kind of work with it but mm -hmm. the key for me is making sure that one it's it's definitely it's really good kiln dried lumber so i only have a a couple of resources i've always worked with and i feel very confident with them because the stuff's turned out fantastic so i'm very confident in that way and then the other thing is if the the stock's been sitting around like all the stock in my shop right now i think the newest boards that are in there are still for me at least over a year old 
Uh, so anytime new stock comes in, it sits for a little while, not up to a year, uh, but it, I give it at least a good week or so uh, to kind of stabilize and then kind of go from there. And even then, sometimes I, I'm too, I, I can't, I can't wait. I'm impatient. <laughs> Got to dive now, right into it. The, the, places that, the places that you guys buy your lumber, are they outdoor lumber yards or are they inside? Um, actually, one has both indoor and outdoor, and I'm pretty sure the stuff they usually send me comes from the outdoor uh, uh-huh. portion of their yard. And the other one I am more than positive is is all indoor. I've got a combination. I've got one that's indoor and outdoor, but the indoor is just swamp cooled and fan right. cooled. Then yeah. I have one that's actually got a uh, outdoor swamp cooled area, but an indoor air conditioned area. So it, it kind of just depends on which place I'm I'm going to. Yikes. It's kind of a nightmare. Yeah, it's well, confusing. The, you know, <laughs> certainly when you're talking big box stuff, that kind of all bets are off. Most of that just because it's not dried well or not enough. But when you're talking about like buying from, we'll say somebody like Woodcraft, um, well, see, their lumber's already pre-milled. But there are a lot of lumber yards that have these like indoor showroom type things. And I think that actually leads to more problems. Most of the lumber yards out there, and the one I work for is no uh, no exception, they're kept in sheds. You know, they're under cover, but the the, the sides are open. Mm-hmm. So the, the air is free to move all around them. And those boards are thoroughly acclimated to the local environment. Right. And if those boards have been moved in and out and moved into an AC environment or climate-controlled environment, if that's different from your climate-controlled environment, that can cause problems. And I think the the boards that are left to acclimate naturally outside are just more stable in the long run because they've been exposed to it and they're not really getting a major, major shock. Even if you bring it inside to an air con- air conditioned environment, all that's really going to do is drop moisture from the board, which I think is better than adding moisture to the board as far as movement mm-hmm. goes. So. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it really depends on where you buy the lumber. But most of the well, good yards, they store it outside for a reason. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, sometimes I guess it may be overthinking the details here. But when I think of a board coming into these indoor showrooms, for me, I think of it as a good thing. That is assuming the board still has some thickness for me to work with. Because ultimately, that air-conditioned space, yeah, maybe it'll be a few degrees different. But the interior of that place is much closer to the interior of my house than right. the outdoor area is. I think the problem that a lot of these places get into is they mill it down to like S4S and they bring the really nice stuff inside. Then right. it drops in humidity. So these boards may not be as stable or they may not be as flat as they once were. And then you got to bring them home into your shop and remill them again to get them flat. And that's like the classic yeah. home store wood problem. Well, and the thinner it gets, the more it's going to potato chip on you yeah exactly yes yeah, so i think it's rather we should say the easier it is for it to potato chip sure on you. sure yeah and i so saw there's definitely a strategy and i think it's um subjective depending on your lumber place the quality of the wood that you've got and your your local climate i think plays a big role as well all right let's move to brit's question i think it's brit sounds like brit it's hard to hear let's hear brit hey guys this is brit calling from duluth minnesota Oh, that's really quiet. I'll have to turn that up later. Jeez. <laughs> Hope you guys can hear it. Uh, mm-hmm. Turning questions, so I know a couple of you might not be able to help me, but uh, with your knowledge, I'm trying to turn a mallet, but I've got a mixture of oak and some purple heart and a little bit of zebra wood, and I'm getting huge amounts of chip out with the zebra wood and the purple heart. just kind of curious if you guys have any tips for me. Uh, do I need to slow stuff down? Do I need to just slow the whole thing out and start over without the exotics? Any info you could give me would be appreciated. So thank you much. Loving the show, guys. 
Oh, well, I got a couple of suggestions here. Uh, number one, get your uh, tool rest close to the wood. And uh, number two, ride the bevel. <laughs> Anybody else want to contribute to this? And one? on to our emails. Um, yeah, yeah, I was I was wondering what did he mean by that that we might not be able to help him or two, a couple of us may not be able to help him. I, I what just is, think it's funny you have a couple of us. Well, well, there's only yeah. three of us, Brit. So <laughs> that's process of elimination. Are not good right now. A few um, of you may not be able to answer. Specifically, I'm thinking of three guys that are on the show. Oh, well, hey, look, I just turned a French rolling pin. For my brother. So there, okay. Did you throw it at your brother right afterwards? I did, yes. So I'm curious, you know, a lot of times if you if you're lucky enough to to be turning a green wood and you've got the the luxury of those beautiful ribbon shavings flying off of uh, off of the workpiece, that's always nice. But if you're turning, you know, kiln dried hardwoods and exotics, the situation might be a little tougher, might be a little tougher going. Um, so I don't really, I mean, I never really have a huge problem with tear out with the stuff that I have turned, but I don't turn a, a lot. I don't turn a, a ton. Right. Um, there's no such thing as green exotics in this country. So yeah, <laughs> pretty much if it's zebra wood and purple heart, it's got no choice. Hard. Yeah. So well, are there zebra wood had a tendency to be nasty and splinter anyways, not just for turning, but for everything else. Well, it smells like gym socks. Used oh, well, in that case, sign me up for when it. Not like I don't have enough so. from a 14-year-old. You know what? There, there's a couple. Someone even said that of uh, Sycamore, I believe, because I'm, I'm working with quarter on Sycamore right now, and they said it smells like old dogs or something. I heard that about Bacot. It either smells like old dogs or pickles. Well, I've never smelled that. Like, it's, even with zebra wood, I've never smelled the smell that people are talking about. Maybe my, my smeller is broken, but... I, I'm right there with you, buddy. <laughs> I've never. It's like, okay, it smells like wood. I don't know what you want from me. Uh, <laughs> it's like... All right, so Shannon, do you have any tips for tear out in uh, in some hardwoods and these just getting problems? Is it a matter of sure. a pr- approach or a tool sharpness or what? Well, anytime you have a tear out, the first thing I'm going to ask is, is your tool sharp enough? Whether you're doing cabinets, whether you're turning or carving, is your tool sharp enough? And zebra wood, zebra wood's not super, super hard and it's a little bit more open poured. Um, he said red oak, I think, right? Red yeah. oak, zebra mm-hmm. wood. I, I heard heart. purple heart, I purple thought. Purple heart, red oak, and zebra wood. Right. So um, red oak is it's medium hardness, but it's much more porous. So there's a totally different texture and consistency. So you may be running into a little bit of problems with the transition from softer open poured wood to ridiculously hard, diffuse porous, closed poured purple heart. Um, zebra wood, I think, is diffuse porous as well. So again, they're just denser, denser species. So there may be some of that there. But if your tool is sharp on the red oak it may not be sharp on the purple heart and that may be what you're running into the other thing is is turning when think about it you're going across the grain no matter what you do so you have to he may need to use a different tool maybe he needs to switch to a skew maybe he needs to skew his presentation maybe he needs to take a lighter cut Um, he needs to make sure you observe the ideas of rubbing the bevel if you don't have support on that cutting edge you are going to get tear out and always turning downhill. So go from thicker to thinner. Um, if you're going the opposite way, you're going to get up underneath that, and you're going to uh, you're going to tear out. So sharpen your tools. Possibly even strop the tools. A lot of people, especially in the powered turning world with high speed steel, don't really mess with the strop that much. You know, eh, it's turning at 1500, 2500 RPMs. We're fine. Don't underestimate the ability of getting it. As sharp as you would sharpen your bench chisels or your bench planes. That would be where I would go first. Cool. Sounds good. Good advice. Good luck with that. Watch Matt's Basement Workshop episode number. What is it? Yes. <laughs> number yes. yes. It's uh, the most recent one that's up there. And just whatever I do, don't do the same. There we go. 
Perfect. All right, let's move into our emails. I got one here from Jason. He says, I'm in the design phase of an activity table for my son. I want the top of the table to be removable to expose a well in the apron for playing with Legos or block or other things that you want to keep contained and not fall off the table. While I'm concerned about what I'm concerned about is how to stop cupping of the removable top since it won't be secured to the apron. I know the simplest solution is breadboard ends, but I don't really want breadboard ends. Just aesthetically, it's not what I'm looking for. Would some kind of uh, embedded support be enough? I'm thinking sliding dovetail that's capped on each end so that you don't see it from the edges, only underneath. The top is going to be three quarters of an inch thick, so I'm worried that the support won't be thick enough. All right, well, I think this is kind of the classic tabletop cupping question and and what you should do to prevent cupping should it ever happen. Uh, Sometimes you could just go without anything and hope for the best and it'll be fine. So although it's, you know, very specific for like a a toy, toy, like top thing, like an activity table, I I think the same principle applies. So I think for me, I would probably use some sort of like battens underneath to go across the grain. And of course you're going to screw those into the underside of the top and you know, two or three across the length of this thing and make sure that the screws are in oversized holes so that top can still expand and contract. Um, I've used that on a number of like toy chests and even just regular tabletops. Um, if you sculpt them and, and round them over and make them look really nice, even if you see them, they're not an eyesore. They actually look pretty decent. And that's a great way if you don't want any sort of external support like breadboard ends, uh, that's a great way to keep a top flat. Um, of course, in general, you have your 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 general like panel glue up rules to follow in terms of how to get, you know, we just talked about wood acclimation and things that you could do to stop your boards from warping. Um, keeping all that in mind and assuming you're doing all those things that have a nice flat panel to begin with. Um, you don't really need a whole lot of help to keep it flat. The other thing is, I don't know what his construction concerns are and why he wouldn't want to use plywood for something like this. I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of people just don't want to use plywood, especially for something for kids. That's fine. I have no problem with it. I would just say plywood all the way, because if I need something to come out and be stable and stay flat, a good quality cabinet grade plywood is likely to stay very flat uh, and won't require any external support to keep it that way. Um, So those would be my two suggestions, especially in that thickness, since he's going with three quarters of an inch thick. I mean, ply, it it seems the obvious solution. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Sounds good. Sweet. Well, let's move on to Kyle's question. And Kyle says, I hope you guys can help me with a fine dust problem. I can't wear a respirator because I have a large, thick beard, braggart, and cannot get (laughs) a complete seal around my face. Unfortunately, that's something Shannon will never really have to deal with, I guess, what it sounds like. You got thrown out of that beard club, didn't you? Uh, No comment about that one. Thanks for bringing up that sore spot. Uh, So anyways, he goes on to say, I have tried the paper mask and they do not work very well. Safety comes first and I hope you guys have some suggestions. Really when it comes down to it, Kyle, unfortunately, we manly types with our nice thick lush beards or maybe even some of those who are attempting to get probably to the same level that you and I are at, Kyle, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, We are kind (laughs) of stuck when it comes to this. It's part of the same reason why when I, the one or two times that I've gone scuba diving, I have not scuba diving, excuse me, snorkeling or any type of underwater activity. I've almost drowned as a result of water getting under the mask and through my eyes and down to the rest of my body. Uh, but anyways, though, the one solution that the only solution I can really come up with is you're you need one of those full face shield kind of respirator mm-hmm. uh, uh the trend respirator. shield that's what i was yeah, thinking the ones yep. that basically look like you work for the cdc at level eight <laughs> is what it looks like unfortunately these are also kind of expensive although I, I saw the vast majority i was looking at like at amazon uh amazon.com they start about 150 but here's the thing uh you have that whole 
issue of having the fine dust uh, is pretty much eliminated because of the fact that you can finally wear something that's getting properly sealed. Uh, depending on how long your beard is, you might have to actually potentially fold it up a little bit and get it up in there. The, do the do the Lou Albano thing with some rubber bands. A couple rubber bands. Yes, yes. Sweet. In fact, I've learned how to quick do, quickly do a French braid, and then I can tuck mine up into the, the mask that I'm using. Uh, but even then, I still find myself right afterwards getting a little congested, so it's obvious sawdust is getting in there. Plus, I get the aroma of the sawdust coming through, so I know... I should be doing the same thing that I'm telling Kyle to do, which is to upgrade to one of these, you know, big face shield kind of mask kind of a thing going on. And again, you can get the filters, uh, the various types of filters that you would with some of the other face shields. There are some other really unique things. Do you guys remember some of the ones that looks like like you pinched your nose and then there was this breathing apparatus that went out the back side of the face and it looked like a Jacques Cousteau gone bad or something or something like a steampunk. I don't know. It's nope. Okay, oh. it was. I'll have to go find it now just to prove that it existed. Was that uh, Batman? I think that was Batman. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe that's when I was growing <laughs> up. Battery rich, breather. Yeah, like yeah, with Adam West or something like that. Yeah, that one. Yeah, something. So, anyways, it, look, there there are some of those things. But to be quite honest with you, if you really want the protection and to make sure that you're getting properly sealed in there, that's probably the route you're going to go. Now, I did find an article over at CanadianWoodworking.com. Uh, it's an older article, but at the same time, you'll get an idea for. Uh, the masks that I'm talking about. And I do believe that most of the masks that were talked about in that article, and there's a manly looking man with a nice beard in that one. Uh, it's still relevant today. So go cool. and check that out. And for those of you who do have beards, this is definitely one of those great kickback uh, opportunities for you to help us out here. Kyle sure. and I, and the rest you know, of us lumberjacky looking guys. I've got some advice for Kyle. I think he should go to Harry's.com and get $5 <laughs> off his first order using the code wood talk. <laughs> and just shave that damn beard off. Be done with it. Easy. Easy. That easy. is, oh my Lord, Mark. That should have been obvious. Perfect. No. Mark. Yeah, that's, uh, that's blast. I don't even know if I can be on the show anymore. <laughs> I'm good for something. All right. All right. Dig us out this of this show. Email from Jason. Uh, he says, I'm going to build a small box that will have a relatively thin top, probably a quarter of an inch. Do you know of a way to hinge this without the screws poking through the top? Are there hinges that attach in a way besides screws? Um, yes, there are. I dealt with this once. I made a real thin topped, um, like pencil box and there's a couple of ways that you can do this. Um, the really cool way you could do a wooden hinge. Um, it's a quarter of an inch. It's going to be really, really tight, but essentially you're talking about creating like box joints and then drilling a hole through the center. You've got to have a lot of precision. There are, um, dowel, uh, drilling jigs, the guys at uh, Elkridge Tools, the guys that make screwdrivers, they make one. Rob Cosman makes one hmm. that it's a jig that will allow you to precisely drill the pinhole through the through the hinge. That's like the really, really cool trick that way. Hmm. Real simple would just be dowel pins on either side of the lid. So it pivots on those dowel pins. You have captive pins. That would mean you'd have to recess the lid so that it drops down in. Again, you'd have to use probably eighth of an inch dowels and you're going to really have to have a precisely drilled hole or what is most commonly used and what I've used is something called a kerf cut or a barb hinge. And you have to have a specific blade. Uh, it's kind of like, imagine like a Dremel cutoff tool um, that you have to buy the blade in the arbor. <clears throat> it can't actually be mounted in a router, although I've been told that the RPMs of the router are too high for that. So if you've got like a trim router or something slower, um, this is just a little thin blade that cuts a tiny little curve. Imagine a biscuit joiner type deal. 
And the hinge itself, the leaf is really, really thin, but it's got these barbs that stick out of it. So you slide it in, you kind of tap it in with a hammer and the barbs grab it and it doesn't come out. So you're essentially sliding the hinge leaf into that quarter inch piece through a biscuit style joint. It's called a, a curve cut hinge or barb hinge. Rockler has them. Woodcraft has them. Just look up uh, curve cut hinges and you'll find the, the saw blades, the arbors and the hinges themselves. Cool. And you know what? I'll also suggest the miniature barrel hinges. Mm, yes. They can be pretty small. I don't know if it's going to be small enough. Uh, I thought about that. How I don't know how far you have to drill in, though. Yeah, I'm not sure on the structure of his, his lid and what he's dealing with, whether it would work. But you don't have to, they, they're really tiny. Uh, you don't have to go in too deep. And they're probably about maybe just a little bit over, ooh, maybe a little over an eighth of an inch. You usually have to bevel the back edge a little bit. So you mm-hmm. are increasing your surface area a little because you're not going yeah, like yeah. straight perpendicular and you're going at an angle. So that might work actually. Yeah. And I, I'm going to suggest just a friction fit and forget the hinges. <laughs> yeah. Or do like a little like applique over top of the screws. that uh, Maybe out. some leather and epoxy. Yeah. Ebony, ebony plugs right and over ivory. top of those screws. Well, you know what? Just punch the screws all the way through and file them down and they'll just be decorative little brass inlay things. There you go. <laughs> nice. Look at Fancy. you thinking that way. Oh, man. Oh. I'm full of ideas. Just oh, my Lord. Not all of them are good. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right. Well, if you were looking to support uh, this fine show, you know what? We're happy to be back, and we're really happy when some uh, some of these donations come in because that's honestly that's how we know you love us. You know, when exactly. you pull out your wallet and you say, "I love you," two dollars worth a month. <laughs> uh, Nothing says I love you more than cold hard cash. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you can sign up for a recurring or one time donation at woodtalkshow.com. And of course, we appreciate that support. You can also go to twwstore.com and pick up your Wood Talk t shirt. You can leave us an iTunes review in the iTunes store. Just click on ratings and reviews. Of course, look up Wood Talk first. And then click the five star rating, just like Devil Dog 91, Dreist 2, Mike per- Miker Perg, and <laughs> M. Warner 1968, uh, who had this to say. He calls us the Justice League of Woodworking. He Ooh, says, it's so true. Yeah, it says, with Matt's middle American common sense, Superman, Shannon's dark, brooding skill set, Batman, and Mark's quick, irreverent humor, Flash. Uh, these three are much more powerful as a team than as individuals. Of course, uh, each has his own awesome podcast. In addition to Wood Talk Online, that you should check out. Uh, so thank you for that, M. Warner. And uh, frankly, I'm kind of a Marvel man. I would have been happier with the Avengers. <laughs> well, just, just thank you for not calling one of us Wonder Woman. I appreciate that. Or at least, I mean, he could have called me Aquaman. At least I, I got I to be the Flash. Ooh, that's worse. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> like I'd I, rather be Wonder Woman than Aquaman. I, I could have been Aquaman. Oh man! All right. Well, Matt, probably Gleek is that one of the the Wonder Twins? (laughs) Yeah, would not have been good. Oh, fantastic! All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of their ear holes? All right, folks. Hey, do you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion? Or like I said, we could use some really good kickback on that whole beard big guy kind of face masky thing you have several different ways to contact us leave us a voicemail on skype our username is wood talk online call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment on our wood talk facebook page where we'll probably ignore you i'm just kidding i like to do that while i'm in the toilet uh, and if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com and like that fantastic comment that came in and, you know, we do have our own private uh, shows ourselves, our own websites. Mark is over at thewoodwhisperer.com. Not like any of you have ever heard of that place. Uh, Shannon is over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And I'm down in the basement at mattsbasementworkshop.com. 
So good. So awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back next week for another regular show. So we are back on schedule. And you know what? Fall season. This is woodworking season. It's also football season. But that's another story. And uh, (laughs) we'll catch you next time. See ya. I'm Batman. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 